and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust. Today, we are returning the first episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Broken Circle. My name is Ethan, I'm one of your hosts. And I am Kevin, one of your other hosts. And this episode, The Broken Circle, is written by Henry Alonzo Meyer and Akiva Goldsman, two of the creators of the show. And is directed by Chris Fisher who, to us, for us, directed the final episode of last season, A Quality of Mercy, an episode that we liked very much. So. And I liked this episode very much. Yes, I liked it very fine. Very fine. I think it was a... It kind of felt like a very classic Star Trek, almost TOS-like episode, right? It um, It's one of those episodes that I feel like... Just, it was a really fun adventure with the crew. Um, you know, we don't yet know what the consequences of it may be. Mm. But they, it was an interesting choice, I thought, because I kind of thought that they were just going to get right back into the number one story. But that's not the case. They kind of took a break from that. And they're gonna they're holding that until next week. And they gave us this story, which I think is a a rather interesting choice to make. Right, they give us a tease. We got a little update, oh, yep. Number one story. Yep. And then we got this story, which I think is an example of how they're handling the standalone episodes, but still in kind of within a bigger story arc. It reminded because me of... This did set off some things, or at least gave us some information. It sort of reminded me of what they did on Discovery in the third season. That first episode was called That Hope Is You, Part 1 but they saved part two until much later in the season. So this idea that, you know, part two doesn't necessarily have to immediately follow part one. I mean, there's no rule that says you have to do that. So while I would like to have, while I'd like to see the number one storyline, you know, addressed, and I kind of wanted to have it addressed right away, the fact that they waited a week doesn't really bother me, because at least, you know, to your point, we kind of got a little bit of an update on what it is. And it was actually served as sort of a mechanism to sideline Captain Pike, who was not heavily featured in this episode. Right. But that's because Antima had a baby. Is that the reason why he wasn't? Yeah, in this? yeah, he had a baby, so he couldn't film for a while. So they had to do one with Are you making this up or you know if you're you know no, I, I, I read it, yeah. No, it's real. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um and another thing is that so the beginning they teased us with the continuation of number one story. At the end, they teased us with the continuation of the Gorn story. They did. So they did. I imagine we're not going to visit the Gorn story right away either. So, so you know, they're planting some nice seeds, and as long as it's not season-long story arcs, I'm very happy. Yeah, so I'll have more to say about the Gorn when we finally get to it, which is obviously say for the end of the story, but um, this episode just reorients us, right? We kind of get a little bit of a reintroduction of sense of sorts of the crew we meet a new crew member played by carol kane who i like very, who i like very much the new chief engineer Latka, as my notes have it what is it mrs latka mrs lot oh well pretend people listening don't know what you're talking about so explain who uh, that is <clears throat> well it's uh carol carol kane of course 
Yes. Baka being um, the beautiful, wonderful character on Taxi. Yes. Played by Mr. Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Wife played by Miss Carol King. And um, that's where I first met Miss Carol Kane back when I was a wee tot watching Taxi. Yes, a show that you love to talk about. Great show. Forgotten great show. We begin this season with a distress call from our friend La'an Noonien Singh. And the Enterprise has to basically come to her rescue. And in doing so, they uncover some very shady stuff going on i'm being a little coy here because we have to get get into the details but the episode is essentially a rescue mission and um i would say that in watching it it kind of had a lot of search for spock overtones for me the idea of breaking the rules stealing the enterprise and Mm -hmm. going to save a member of the crew and having the entire crew on board with you of course, when they said they were going to be stealing Enterprise, I sort of kind of rolled my eyes because I feel like it's now becoming a trope to just break all these rules now. And I mean, it's always been a trope, but I feel like a lot of these shows are really kind of going at it, you know? It's true, and Picard, yeah, Picard, just getting off of Picard where the rules were also broken pretty... Badly. For the entire season. Yes. And but as we talk about many times, there is there seems to be this unwritten rule that you can break as many rules as you want as long as everything works out okay. It's... Then- all will be forgiven. It's such a ripe joke for Lower Decks to leverage. Like, I can just hear Mariner saying that in my head. Yeah, listing all the times. We'll just steal the ship. The, you know, the Enterprise has been stolen five times. And right. List them all. Yeah, I can just, I can hear her saying that so many times. Like, yeah, and almost exactly the way you say it. As long as you do something heroic, they just, they wipe your record clean and everything's, and everything's exactly. good. Yeah. Just save someone on the way back and they'll forgive you. Yeah. So, as we said, you know, Una, number one, is still under arrest for concealing her heritage. Captain Pike tries to help her, so he has to leave the Enterprise, and he leaves it in Spock's hands as acting captain. And while the Enterprise is in space dock, it's being inspected by Starfleet's operational support services, who are somewhat, I would say, Oddly bureaucratic. Um, But there's also a lot in this episode about Spock dealing with his sort of emotional vulnerability. Which I think was a very interesting choice. Yeah, he's he's stressed. He's showing signs of stress. Showing lots of signs of stress. And they begin to reintroduce a relationship between Spock and Nurse Chapel, which I got to say, I hope they don't go into this too much only because this is where my sort of like continuity stickler was coming into play, you know, because I think of in the original series, A Mock Time, they do have a somewhat almost teased romantic relationship. But that's all it is. Like, it doesn't feel like in other words, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want this show to try to go down a whole path of them getting into an actual romantic relationship. <clears throat> because that's to me, doesn't feel like what it would sort of amount to based on what we see in a mock time. It sort of feels like a will they, won't they, oh, almost did, Spock, the one that got away kind of thing. Like It, it, yeah, it seems like if they keep it like this, where clearly he has feelings for her, she has feelings for her, but nothing ever happens of it, that would be the best way to 
Right, right, exactly. So, but, and I think for me in this episode, that was something I didn't really find that worked very well. Like, I guess I, and I just didn't find it very interesting. It's not at a point right now where I feel that it's something I really want to see. I'm still very much thinking about Nurse Chapel having to get into that relationship with Roger Corby, who is the person she, her and Kirk try to rescue in the episode What a Little Girl's Made Of. Like, I want to sort of, I want to see that relationship explored. I don't want to see Spock. I don't want to see a love triangle between Spock, Chapel, and T'Pring. Yeah, me neither. So, if the show decides to sort of end it with this, but based on the trailers, it seems like they may try to go into it a little bit more. So, I'm just, I would ask them to proceed with caution because they, oh, as much as I love the show, with some of these things, I feel like they really do walk a fine line. And I don't, that doesn't make me comfortable. I don't like that. Agreed. I could see less of that and less of. Kirk and I'll be very happy. But Spock is prescribed one harp to treat his um, stress. Yes. His loot, I think is basically what it's called now. Yes. The the loot. The one we see him playing numerous times on the original series. I think it made its I believe it made its first appearance in Charlie X. That's how he gets in good with the space hippies. (sighs) Right. And he's playing it and Uhura is singing alongside with it. I'm sure we'll, I have no doubt we'll get some of that on this show as well. But yeah, I've got a we're singing next to him right now. You and I were talking before we began recording about how okay, like it was sort of cute that they introduced that, but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel entirely necessary. They're giving us the origins of some of these things that it doesn't even like I don't even need to know that that was okay, like yeah. yeah. It would have been fine if he just was playing it rather than have it prescribed, but it didn't. It wasn't offensive to me either. It didn't bother me. It just. It didn't bother me, but what I said to you before, I said I don't want to go back to watching an episode of the original series, and then have a scene with Spock's quarter in Spock's quarters, and I see all these things, all these personal items on the on the shelves, and be able to look at those and say, "Well, Strange New Worlds explain the origins of all those things in his quarters." Yeah. Like I don't need those things, and I know why they do it. Because it doesn't, they feel like it doesn't hurt to do it, but it also it doesn't, doesn't hurt to not do it. So why? Yeah, why it, yeah. It's sort of one of those questions. You can just imagine the writer sitting around. It, it, it made me think a little bit of the Han Solo movie where, oh, what don't we know? Well, we don't know how he met Chewbacca, so we'll put that in. We don't know where he got the name Solo, we'll put that in. We don't know where he got the Millennium Falcon, we'll put that in. Um, well, they do actually be yeah, we don't have to know the origin of everything. Just because you see something doesn't mean that's a story that needs to be told. Yeah. One thing that jumped out at me was, another thing that jumped out at me was Uhura is now a full-fledged ensign. She's beyond a cadet now. Mm-hmm. That means she's no longer Lower Decks? Well, she's an ensign. I mean, there are ensigns on Lower Decks, so I would say probably. But we get a little bit of, we also get a little bit of world building in this episode. We kind of get a sense of what happened after the Klingon War that was seen in the first season of Discovery. And I really like this idea of the planet they have to go to to rescue La'an. 
It's a mining settlement on the Klingon border. But they mention... Commodore April mentions that it's shared with the Klingons. So, like... And it's, it's a, again, a Dilithium planet. He mentions the Klingons get it for three months, and then the Federation gets it for three months. They sort of take it in shifts. Yeah. And that's very... Um... Reminded me of, like, Germany after World War Two. Yeah, so... Or before yeah. World War Two, Germany and... Um... France, and they had the Rhineland, which was the sort of demilitarized zone, where it was like right. it didn't belong to anyone, but nobody could put their military there. Yeah. Um, and then you had in the Middle East, when they made the mandates after World War One. Yeah. And they had, um, I think it was Jerusalem, was an international city. Yeah. That was like run by the UN, so no one really controlled that city. Yep. Um, some things like that that are interesting parallels. And we learn through La'an that there is a syndicate, which are actually humans and Klingons working together called the Broken Circle, who want to reignite the war because in their minds, and this is, a Ferengi, this is oddly enough a Ferengi rule of acquisition, in their minds, war is good for business. Yes, and specifically, interestingly, and I think this is a nice touch, is that this yeah. was a team-up between Federation and Klingons that wanted to make the profit. So the people that had been running this Dilithium planet. Right. The prices, and interestingly too, the prices of Dilithium went up during the war and they just wanted the prices to right. go back up so they could continue to, to auction it off. I gotta say, that's a very, I find that to be a very original idea. Like that feels something, that feels very much like something we would maybe see on the original series or Next Generation, right? I just, I really... And I like that it sort of makes me think of, again, you know, post-World War II Germany. You mentioned even before that, and like, that, it ha that the idea seems to have its roots or at least mirrors some historical, you know, what do I want to say? Like, some, like a historical like, event or moment in history or something like that. I like that they have gone that route with that. Simple plan, but a very realistic one. Right. So... Um, I think that was very, very, I thought that was really cool the way they decided to develop that. It's not something, and it was, it was refreshing to see them come up with an idea like that because I feel like that's not something, I don't feel like the other shows really look at, look at, you know, the world in that way. It still right. has its very, again, that to me feels like that, that's an original series thing. Yes, it is, that's how reasonable the plan was because really, you know, it wouldn't take them that much knowing how, the feelings are after the war, knowing how war crazy the Klingons are, they know that this probably would work. Right. And so, in their time there, they... So the crew kind of splits up, goes around, and we spend a lot of time with Mabenga and Chapel, and we find that they have, like, deep down on the planet, they actually have a... They're sort of reassembling a Federation vessel. An NX-looking vessel. Well, actually, you know what it was? And you're right. It looks like an NX vessel. Um, so when we finally see the vessel take flight and it's in space, one of the navigators mentions it's Crossfield class, I think. Crossfield's Discovery. They were, they were actually inside the Discovery sets doing that. And the outside of the ship, the saucer anyway, looked like Discovery. But I think what it was, was it wasn't like a retcon of the Crossfield class. I think what they did was, I, I feel like they kind of like grabbed a bunch of ships and almost like in within the world itself kind of kit bashed it. Yeah. So that, yeah. It definitely didn't look like discovery. The saucer section was the same thing, but everything beside that was not. 
That's weird. Yeah. You think the saucer section would be the thing that would be different since the Discovery saucer section spins 360. Right. Right. Well, but, this, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I thought it looked cool. I thought it might be the NX01. But it, no, it absolutely did. Yeah. It was that very low profile, you know, the very right. like flat nacelles. Kind of reminded me a little bit of the Reliant as well from the Wrath of Khan, the Miranda class vessel. Hmm. But the idea is, I guess, they want to use this ship to mask themselves as a Federation ship and attack a, the Klingons to make it look like the Federation has done that, is doing yeah. that as, a way, as their way of reigniting the war, yeah. And I assume part of their plan is that that ship will be destroyed, right? Yes. It will attack the Klingons and then it will get destroyed in retaliation and then the war starts. Right. Because Which, otherwise you'd have people and you'd have to have to explain where the crew is and all that. And that aspect of it reminded me of that Tom Clancy novel, The Sum of All Fears also made into a film where some neo-Nazis actually build a nuclear weapon and they detonate it at the Super Bowl, but they make it look like it's Russia that did it to ignite a war between the U.S. and Russia. forgot about that. Yeah. So, like, it's interesting that they're doing these sort of, like, political type of, like, political thriller type of stories, but they still feel like, even though that's, like, an old type of story, like, that's, like, a Cold War type of story... They're still, I like that they're still sort of treating the in the show the Federation and the Klingon Empire as if it is the U.S. and the Soviet Union, as if the Cold War is still going on, in some yeah. ways. Like they didn't, you know what I mean? Like they didn't sort of update the Klingon Empire to sort of like mirror somebody else in today in the modern sense. It still very much feels like a nineteen sixties, seventies, eighties Cold War kind of standoff between the two between the two superpowers. Yeah, and I like the fact that this. It's a good idea. It's a fun idea, but it's a fun idea for one episode. Yes, like it's not leading. We're not leading into something. It's not. They're not right. setting up a story I for the season. Entire one episode could some someone would have stretched it over an entire season, and, and it yeah, would have been tiresome. So good on them, right? You have a good idea, you use it. You just tell that story in one episode. But you know, you make a good point. You make a really good point, though. But I think that also could be. I know it's easy it's easy to say this. If done right, I could see that being an interesting season plot. Or at least one across maybe a few episodes. Maybe not an entire season. But I could see that, you know, being somewhat interesting. I could just as likely see it growing very tiresome. Of, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, totally. But um, what did you think of all that stuff on the ship with... Mabenga and Chapel. Were you getting? I, I got to admit, I was getting a little bored with it. I felt like it was getting to be a little too tiresome. Well, I think yes, it did get a little tiresome. But the interesting thing, I think, they kept alluding to their past, right? And then they pulled out some kind of super soldier serum. They served in the Klingon War, yeah. What was that? They served. Sorry, they served in the Klingon War. They revealed, but yeah, the super right, so serum. That's have we been aware of this super serum before? So I okay. I'm glad you mentioned this because I had to like watch that moment a couple of times. I'm like, because I'm like, I feel like they're not. I'm like, did I? I'm like, did I miss a line of dialogue? Like, and there is a line with Mbenga, and I couldn't understand him, and my my subtitles weren't lining up properly. Right. Do you remember what it was? No. He said something like, "I keep it with me at all times," or something. I think didn't he? He said something like that. Well, yeah, he was asked by Chapel, like, "You always have us with you." He said, "Yes." Oh, when Chapel said to him, like, are you sure you want to do this again? 
Right. Whatever his response was, I couldn't understand. So whatever this stuff was, it made them like it kind of like tripled or quadrupled their strength enough to yeah. take out some Klingons. Yes. Right. But yeah, like they injected it. We see, you know, as a show like this does, it sort of zooms in on their eyes, something going on with their eyes. So clearly, like, something is happening to them inside. But I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait, what's going on? Yeah, I had, to, I had to go back as well. And then I looked at it like, okay, you know, this is super soldier serum. But it was still very ambiguous, though. Yeah. Because I don't feel like it was properly set up. Well, it, right. But I do think it was interesting because I think they gave us just enough to know that they've thought it through. Because they said, you sure you want to do this again? Right. So apparently, so two things I think they're interesting. One, I guess maybe there was widespread use of this serum during the Klingon War. Yep, probably. Which is interesting. I don't know if Starfleet is, um, you know, we can't have genetically altered people, but we can give people super soldier serum. I feel like they make exceptions in war, but go, <laughs> go on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, so I think that kind of worked. I think that they set it up just enough, and I'm sure we're going to hear more about it. Yeah. You think it's going to be, you think we're going to learn, you think it's going to, they're going to come back to it at some point? I think they have to because they, they're, they keep alluding to their past in the war. And then the serum. Oh, I thought you meant the serum. Yeah. Yeah. No, both. Yeah. Oh, they're, both. They're yeah. Connected. And I think that you wouldn't bring that up without having it come into play later. But I do have to say the Klingon that they attacked, <clears throat> and I'm sure that clearly he was not a honorable Klingon because he was trying to get his people to go to war when they didn't have to. But. Right. He gave up so fast for a Klingon. Klingons who want to die in battle. The most glorious did, thing yeah. to do is die in yeah. battle. And, and they just choked him for a little while. And he immediately said, all right, I'll tell you everything. That was very strange to see. It's funny. They're being... We say all these, they say all these things about the Klingons. Like, like you just say, they establish all this stuff. And yet sometimes all the various shows sort of go against that. So it's just another example. Like, So if you want to... If you kind of want to split hairs, I'm not defending it or anything, but like, say, go back to the episode yesterday's Enterprise, right? The Enterprise C was destroyed answering a distress call, a Klingon distress call, because they were being attacked by Romulans. Well, Klingons don't send out distress calls. Right. They die in battle. Same thing. They die in battle. Right? Yeah, yeah. So. Although I think here it made the most sense, because this was a shady Klingon. So he, I'm sure he, you know, just because your culture is that you are very brave doesn't mean everybody well, I have to believe that that Klingon may have... I, I can't remember if they have clearly established it, but, like... The Enterprise crew could sort of pass themselves off as one of those other Federation citizens as part of the as part of the broken circle. I don't know if they ever say, like... I don't think they firmly established, like, we're just gonna... So I don't know if that Klingon may have assumed that that could have been... I don't know if that changes anything, but... Right, yeah, yeah. they weren't wearing their official uniforms and communicators. right. No, but I agree. It was, um, yeah, I know what you mean. The, the part, the 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 scenes on this on that Federation ship were the least interesting scenes in the episode to me, which is odd because I think that's like half the episode. <laughs> but I, I think yeah. it was. I just wanted them to sort of get on with it and sort of like, all right, let's move this along. Like I don't. You know, if you want to delve into the, you know what it was like. It's not that I don't. It's not that I mind them delving into the characters' past. I just felt like in that moment, it wasn't something I was, I was interested in hearing. And that at that particular juncture of the episode, I just wanted yeah. them to sort of get on with it. Right. And it seems like it was important for the writers that we get 
a, a choice for Spock, though I didn't really see it as a choice. But right. But they wanted, g- they wanted that moment of indecision. But they go on there because there's a tr- there is a uh, I believe a star- a transmitter on there that they have to get to the bottom of and um that's so and then of course once they're on there the ship takes off with them on it and then they have to try to contact the enterprise to let them know that hey this is what's going on and in orbit the enterprise has to try to destroy that ship before it attacks the klingon d7 by the way the return of the d7 slightly updated but the return of the traditional klingon d7 battlecruiser looked fantastic so um and that was a really, I thought that was a really tense moment. I mean, I was really, really, I was actually really just into the drama. You know, knowing in the back of my mind that this is just going to happen without consequence, they're, gonna, they're all going to be fine. But with, right. but in the drama of the moment, I was very much like on the edge of my seat watching what was going to happen because I was always afraid that the Enterprise was going to be seen by that Klingon ship. Yes, and, and clearly Spock was torn because he knew Chapel was going to die and probably Mumbanga. But... Right. They ejected but... themselves into space and then, you know. Yes. Uh, yes, and because of his hesitation, they were able to eject themselves. The thing I didn't quite get is obviously when you could look at it on its super face value and just say, "Well, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few." We should have just blown it up, right? Cool. But obviously, this is not that Spock that comes later, right? The thing is that it seems like if they blow up the ship and he kills Omega and Chapel, he stops the war. If he doesn't blow up the ship. They live for another couple of minutes until this starts, and then they get a war, and they're still both dead. So, I did see it as a it was a little hollow as far as the the choice that he had. Yeah, but his hesitating did save them, so that worked. What do you? I didn't th- like the line. Don't worry, we'll pass out after fifteen seconds. Right. <laughs> for some reason, that really I loved that line, and um. And I did look it up, and it, that is exactly right. You will pass out after It reminded me, going back to a next-gen episode called Disaster, where, quite literally, disaster strikes the Enterprise, and everybody's sort of... You probably remember that one, where they're all sort of, like, stuck in their own parts of, part of the ship. Nobody knows. Nobody can communicate with anybody. And there's one point, it's Geordi and Dr. Crusher. They're stuck in the shuttle bay, or the cargo bay. No, shuttle bay, I believe. And there's a, um, there's a plasma fire in the... Um, in the cargo bay, oh. and they can't extinguish it. And the only way to extinguish it is to decompress the the bay and let the vacuum of space put it out. So she's sort of explaining to Jordy like what's going to happen. And I think, and she she kind of mentions it sort of like in a similar vein, like yeah, we'll pass out, so don't worry, but like don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah, you won't you won't know the horrors that are happening. Right. But it was funny, like when they were when they were ejected into space and then they were beamed aboard the Enterprise. I was actually expecting a little bit sort of more evidence of it, because I remember like there was an episode of Enterprise where Captain Archie gets sucked into space and he's like, he's like completely covered in ice, like it's you know. But they just had like they just had like little flakes and little kind of like you know, it didn't because they weren't out there for very long. But I mean, Archer wasn't out there for very long either, and it just had a very different effect on him. Mm. So it was a colder part of space. A colder spot, colder part of space, yeah. The weather in that part of space is terrible. But I got to say, though, in spite of that moment, those moments in the episode of not being entirely interested at that particular time of their backstory, I do like the relationship between Mabenga and Chapel. I do enjoy watching it very much. Yes, and you can tell that they're, they have a history together. It's very right. You know, they, the actors are are playing it well 
And I, you know, Mabenga is in two episodes of the original series, but I, and I have to go back and look at them again because it's been a while. I don't recall if Christine Chapel is actually in those episodes with him. Mm. So, because I wanted to see, I kind of wanted to get familiar with that character again as we knew him on the original series and see if there's any kind of, I doubt there is, but just to see if there's any sort of like. He definitely wears a blue shirt in both. He does. Um, but I, I can see also probably for the writers it was just a matter of well like we could have like a super old guy with white hair or we could have a manga let's go for a break. I'm still oh, dude I'm still waiting to hear what the deal is with uh, the original Doctor on the Cage I just need a line of like where is he <laughs> right why was he there in the first place don't you, don't you want to I think because when they announced the show before we even knew who else was going to be on. Weren't you and I kind of excited? Like, oh my god, we're gonna get Doctor Boyce, and like, who gets excited for Doctor Bo- for Doctor Boyce? Right. Maybe just if if he just he's in retirement, he just fills in if someone goes on shore leave. If like a main a head medical officer goes, he fills in. I'm telling you, dude. Like, I I don't necessarily. I mean, great. I would love, uh, but like, I just need there to be a line of dialogue. I mean, here's the thing: you're gonna give me an origin story of Spock's loot, but you're not gonna tell me what happened to Doctor Boyce. I mean. <laughs> that's fair. Even if you just say to us that he's in retirement, that's fine. I just need the show. I just need to know yeah. that he still exists. Like, well, one episode I do, I want Mbenga to, ha- to have to go for something, you know? Yeah. And then he shows up. Well, it would it would actually kind of be the same it's thing. Maybe chase the claim or something. Because Mbenga shows up in the original series. And, you know, as this show establishes, he's the chief medical officer in the Enterprise, but he comes back on to the Enterprise to sort of help out, but he's not the chief medical officer anymore. That's McCoy. So it's, it could kind right. of be the same thing, right? Um, yeah, you can just come on to help out. Yeah, I just want Dr. Boyce to... I just need a mention of, of Dr. Boyce. That's all. Um, what I was going to ask you was... So, I don't want to forget about this. So the episode introduces us to a new character played by Carol Kane, the new chief engineer who, who replaced... The character that I'm still heartbroken about being killed off was oh, yeah. Hemmer. Um, Commander Pelia. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I don't like her. You <laughs> Not into it, but no. might grow on me. I, I mean, enjoyed I like, her scenes. I like Kane, as I said, but yeah. I don't like her voice. Is like just hard to understand because it's so sing-songy and high-pitched that I have right. trouble understanding her. When she was first talking, it took me a, a minute because I was saying to myself, is she just naturally talking that way or is she putting on a voice? Because she always plays those sort of like kooky characters in various things. And I'm like, I don't know what Carol Kane really sounds like. I think she might sound like that. And I went back and watched a few interviews with her because I just wanted to see. And she's not far off from that at all. But... yeah. What we learn about her is that her alien species, a Lathanite, lived in secret on Earth among humans for like two hundred years. Yes. Which I thought was an which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so this is a new species, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, wouldn't necessarily call it a retcon, but it's sort of building on what we thought. It's sort of adding to something that we weren't aware of. <laughs> I don't think right. it doesn't call. I don't know that it really calls anything sort of into question. No, who cares? 
Well, okay, well, okay, okay. Makes you think well, of Guinan's people, though. It does, because yeah. First Contact wasn't First Contact then, was it? Well, First Contact that we that they knew of, knew of. lived in yeah. secret. Right. They should change it then. Well, but don't forget, though, First Contact, but Enterprise also established Carbon Creek happening about 150 years before that. Remember they came down and visited in the 1950s? That's true. Yeah. So... And we got... Um, Kirk and Spock. But see, I, in a way, I was sort of disappointed because I thought to myself, given that that's the history that they gave her species, mm-hmm. I thought to myself, why can't you just be the same species as Guinan? Why can't you just be an Elorian? Because as we, as we saw in season two of Picard and then even in Time's Arrow on Next Gen, the Elorians, Guinan's people, also were on Earth. So I'm like, why can't they just be the same? Why can't they just be the same people? I guess then you got to deal with all their specific powers, quote unquote. I guess, but but I'm thinking to myself like, how many alien species were living on Earth at the t- at the time of first contact? Two and Vulcans with at least headbands. two, yeah. So could have been more Vulcans with headbands or winter hats on. But I liked her. I actually did. I liked her scenes very much, and I felt like she was stealing the scenes that she was in. I thought she. I liked her character quite a bit. I did like her attitude of um, "I'm bored." Yeah, this is. I did like the way she saw through Spock's plan immediately. Actually, I did like that a lot. Well, she's also calling those things into question. Like, yeah, if I just need to get answers, I'm just going to go to Vulcan because they can't lie. And I'm thinking to myself, nobody in the nobody in Trek really leverages that enough. Right. (laughs) And okay. You know, this is the point of discussion that I want to make. Yeah. This has been established that Vulcans can't lie. Yes, many times. Okay, because you got to assume that there's many situations where lying is actually the most logical thing to do. Right. I can, anyone on the top of their head, I think, could think of a million. Right. So even when it's the logical thing to do, and it's completely illogical to tell the truth, they still would have to tell the truth. That seems off. I, I think, here's my thing. I think they can't lie in a situation that they don't find, like... So, in other words, like if you have, if you take Janeway and Tuvok, for instance, if Janeway is doing something that she'll need the crew to lie, Tuvok may not understand. Like, okay, it's not logical for you to lie about this. So like, he's not he's not in on it because he doesn't think that it's nece- like he may not agree yeah. with what sh- her whatever her deception is. So now he has to now put on, you know, go along with it, and he's not going to be able to go along with it because in his mind he can't rationalize the logic behind. Yeah. The deception. But I think he Spock here had a logical reason to deceive her so they could get away with their plan. Yeah, remember I mean, Spock yeah. will tell people on Earth that he's Chinese. It's it's That's weird. It, it it makes me think of Troy as an empath on the next generation. It's like she can sense somebody's hiding something, but it's like sometimes she can and sometimes she can't. But like it it's sort of it's one of those devices that works or doesn't work as the plot needs it. Because if it if That's she true. always had that, then it would sort of invalidate, you know. Yeah, everything would be so much easier. Everything would be so much easier. And so for a Vulcan, I feel like it's kind of the same. I feel like in I a way so. it's yeah, kind of the same want thing. They not think about it when, it when they don't want to use but it, I, which is fine. But I think but, my yeah. observation still stands. I mean, that's she knew to exploit that from him. And I thought to myself, nobody... nobody has done that enough of that 
in the past. Just go to the Vulcan. He won't. They won't lie. I guess yeah, because she's what two hundred years old or something. Right, and maybe you not be. Maybe you won't be able to actually uncover what the real truth is, but you at least know that he's there's some deception going on here because they can't. They can't, you know, lie. Right. Yeah. So whatever your hunch is, you can ask them about it directly and find out if it's at least if it, if you're wrong. But. I also don't want to overlook the fact that Spock is half human, and I sometimes feel like that plays into it a little bit. Well, he also was tearing up in this episode, so. Well, and see, and that's, I gotta tell you, that's another misconception about Vulcans, is that they have no emotions. Like, no, right. they do have. And actually, as this episode established, which I thought was kind of interesting, it's like they have emotions, but they're actually far more extreme than and They're than, trained, they're trained yeah. to put themselves to hide them. Right. Like, they're not on the same level as a human, like. You know they're far more um, extreme than a human emotion is, which, which is I, why they have to control them. Which I find, which I actually, I feel like that might in the past has been somewhat hinted at, but to just hear it like that, I thought, I thought yeah, that, I'm like that's too, really interesting. Yeah, often it's too, um, yeah, it's too much like oh, when he has emotions, that's his human side, right? It's too often the explanation, right? But I think, in a way, I feel like what this episode is trying to do with him is that. They're trying to get him to the Spock of the original series, which is you you see more you, you begin to see more of the human side as well as the Vulcan side. And I feel like they're there's planting seeds to sort of evolve him to that point. I would argue that he's more Vulcan in the original series. You think here. so? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've seen him here. He's been much more emotional. I think something's going to happen to sort of put him well, more here's, fully toward his Vulcans. Here's, here's, well, here's my, let me, let me, let me just clarify a little bit. If you go back and watch the first, maybe, I don't know, six, seven, eight episodes of the original series, particularly the episode The Enemy Within, when Kirk is split into two, Nimoy is emoting the character quite a bit. Like, Spock's very emotional. And I don't think that's a decision of his, really. I think it's, I think it's the actor trying to figure out where the who the character is and where the character lives. I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily him making a conscious decision like, oh, Spock's just struggling. I think I think it's Nimoy trying to figure out who the character is and try. So I think it's that's his actor as on performance. And I feel like, in a way, because like they have, they were sort of trying to do that on this show and even in Discovery with Spock trying to get into trying to sort of feel like the Spock that we saw on the cage. And I feel like they're getting him, they're trying to get him to the Spock that we at least see at the very beginning of the original series before he becomes, like you say, far more... It's weird to say that because like, oh, it's all, but he's only like that for a couple of episodes and then that's it. Yes, but yeah. there's somewhat of a continuity there, right? It's like, you don't want to get him to be like he is in the original series on this show, then all of a sudden... You see him on the first few episodes of the original series, and like he's, like I say, he's much, he's far more emotive and far more emotional, and so that's or in the age that, where he's smiling at uh, plants and laughing about plants. Right. That's, I mean, that's my take. I may be entirely wrong about that. I think that makes sense. But yeah. Um, we get our little epilogue, where where we see Spock checks in with. Um, Commodore. April. 
April, thank you. Yes. And um, he he gets his he gets his pass. So like you broke so many rules, yep. uh, but it's okay because you did something good. Mm-hmm. And then we get a little behind the scenes where they're talking about we don't want a war on two fronts. And then they see the map and it's Gorn potential Gorn attack. Right. Well, actually, can I mention one thing that leads up to that? So even in that moment, because the other admiral says to April, he says, you know, you let him off easy, and mm. he sort of. Is like I know, but he's a really good first officer, and we can't afford to not have really good officers because X. But even before they say the Gorn stuff, I thought to myself, you know, that kind of makes sense, right? Like, I'm not saying it it legitimizes the disobeying orders, but like, you know, Spocks are really good, and same with and Kirk was as well, and it's like you kind of you potentially do be doing yourself a disservice by losing them because they may have because they did this it doesn't make yeah. breaking the rules okay but yeah. it's like you maybe know. this sets the precedent that later when spock is working with kirk you know kirk may know i don't know spock did shit like this all the time he never gotten in he hardly got in any trouble so you know maybe it's like you know that's right. how it works and rules get broken there's no consequences eventually people start to think less of the rules possibly yeah um, well, hold on. So let me, can I just take a step back for a second? Just before that, though, the ending with Spock and the Klingons and him sort of like establishing a good relationship with the Klingons and, you know, saving the day and congratulating themselves over a barrel of blood wine. That to me felt like that was like perfect start. Like, I feel like I'm saying to myself, the Klingons look great. They're acting like the Klingons that I know and that I remember. And it's so much fun. Like they're being, I was telling you the other day, like they're being like the over the top bombastic. And I, you know, I keep, yeah. we were great. Ah! Yeah. and I keep saying like, you know, Shakespearean, which is somewhat of an exaggeration, but like, it's just, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm saying to myself, these are the Klingons. I know these are the Klingons that I know. And that I remember, and I love the over the top, like sort of like, you know, people that the very lovable bad guys. And the other thing I thought of seeing Spock have like this good relationship with the Klingons, I thought to myself, you know, you want to talk about origins and everything. I thought to myself, you know, Spock becomes, Spock kind of led the peace talks with the Klingons in Star Trek VI. So All right. is this kind of a little bit of a planting that seed as yeah, well? Yeah, he can drink with them. Yeah. Although so can Lahan. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's one of those things, like, you could interpret it that way. Maybe that wasn't what they were intending, you know. Very, but even if not, like, it still works because we know where he ends up with the Klingons in that film. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm looking at that saying, you know what, That's I'm going to connect those two because I, feel, cause I, I just feel like that makes sense. I like that too. Um, but yeah, so we learned at the end of this episode that the Gorn, there's another war brewing, potentially brewing, and it's going to be with the Gorn. And I got to tell you, so this is what I was going to say at the beginning of the episode. Um, I like, I like that I'm kind of afraid of the Gorn, that I'm kind of afraid of the Gorn as a viewer. I'm like, yes. oh shit. Mm. Because yeah, the show well. has done such a great job of making them scary. Yeah, so the great thing is that they made them so inhuman. That's how they did it. It's right. just, they're so, even the Klingons, it's like, 
the Klingons, yes, they have a different culture, they have different attitudes, they have different beliefs, but you can kind of reason with them. Right. And negotiate, but with the, the Gorn, you can't. They're just, you know, they are, like, they are, have a lizard brain, which is sort of just um, focused on immediate things, like, it's a threat, must attack the threat, things like right. that. Yeah. So I think that's really great how they've done that. They've really set it up as this incredibly inhuman uh, enemy. It's, it's a little like the Borg, really. That's what I was thinking. Like, it feels similar to that. Like, I, I, it felt, it was sort of giving me the same feeling of that at the ending of Q-Who, when they know that, oh, the Borg may be coming, and then obviously skipping ahead to the best of both worlds, and then, you know, send a subspace message to Admiral Hansen, we have engaged the Borg, it's like, oh, it's like, you feel, it's, it's the sense of the gathering storm on the horizon. The right? storm that you can't reason with. Yes, exactly. And they're just, yeah, they're just going to destroy you if possible. But I like that this show felt the need to take the Gorn and really develop them and turn them into sort of this show's bad guys. Yeah. And maybe that will add something to watching when Kirk fights the Gorn. Later, you know, if someone were to watch these chronologically, strange yeah. them sound. Yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, I feel like, you know, the show has spent, what have we had, at least three episodes with them? Two? Three? Yeah. So far? Two? I think at least two. Um, what do you think of that? Like, how do you... It could be too early to even speculate, but given what the show has done with the Gorn, then you skip ahead and see the episode Arena, where Kirk fights the Gorn, famous episode. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like episode with the Gorn that I actually don't remember what happened? You what? I don't really remember the Gorn on Enterprise, but I do remember that they were on it. They were on the Mirror episode, and they weren't oh, even. Right. Yeah, that's fine. Then. So, um, do I you feel like it could alter anything for you, like with that episode Arena? Like because it kind of, I feel like that show was treating almost treating them like they were an unknown species, but you know. Yeah, it kind of was, I guess. But like maybe we could give it more impact where it's like someone that you were once at war with. Yeah, because Arena begins with them having destroyed a Federation outpost. Yeah. Right? So, it's almost like if you imagine... Now, we don't know if there is... Now, let's say for the sake of argument that there is ends up being a war with the Gorn in this episode. Does Arena serve as like, oh, it's a reigniting of hostilities? Or like, oh, maybe hostilities didn't... Have been, but yeah. Kirk was able to stop it. Well, that's when the Ogrenians stepped in and said, you know... You know, like no more, like just put a stop to it. Like you know, we just so I, I don't know. I it goes back to I feel like the show walking a really fine line with some with with continuity sometimes. And while I wouldn't say that anything yet, we're not really there yet as far as like, well, how come on the original series, like you know, I would say the biggest issue right now for me is Laan Nunian Singh. She's related to Khan. And for me, that creates a problem when we get to Space Oh, I do have a question about Lahan, though. Yeah. Has it ever been established if she has inherited the genetic enhancements? I don't know. Because were you thinking that when she was drinking? Yes, because I'm yeah. thinking, how can she outdrink a 
a Klingon. Yeah, I Unless I had some con DNA. I don't rem I don't remember. Well, maybe this is our first clue that perhaps she does have some. I don't know how she's related to him. Like, I don't think she's a like his like great great granddaughter or something. I, I don't know. I forget what the relationship right. is with her. What's huh? the other option? By marriage. I guess it could be like his brother who didn't get enhanced or something. I don't know. Had descendant. Yeah, I guess that has to be cleared up. But I don't know. I, I, I had some. That you I'm know, not like sure of. Maybe it's a few generations away, and there's not much left. I, I'm gonna have to look that up because I don't recall if the show establishes mm. what the actual relationship is and if she has any of his. I feel like the genetic stuff has come up. I just don't recall. I don't think it's ever been clarified whether I don't... she has it or how she's related. Yeah, I have to look up her. I'll have to look up her profile number. I'll it doesn't matter right now, really. Right. So yeah, it wouldn't really be discussed. Well, again, the reason why I'm getting hung up on it is, yeah. and I shouldn't be, because it, it, I'm not really somebody who gets who gets hung up on stuff like that. But it's like, you know, clearly, Uhura was in the episode Space Seed. I know. She was okay. So what that means is, oh, I served with her on the Enterprise, Captain. <laughs> you know, same. Yeah. Or say to Khan, like, oh, I knew your, I knew your great, 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 great granddaughter. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, well, okay, but what, what, you, you can also make the argument like, how does that possibly help them in Space Seed? What is that? Okay, she's related, and, and Lahan doesn't seem to know anything about him. Right. So right. there's no benefit to it. Right. So. That's well, that depends. Enough. That depends on what they do with Lan, right? That totally depends on what they do with her, right? At this point, though, yeah, we can assume that that conversation took place off camera off during a commercial break. Kirk looked into it and said, "Oh, that doesn't help us." Because it also we we had the same conversation when we found out that Uhura was going to be a character on the show because we thought to ourselves, "Well, wait a minute. What about in the Menagerie when Spock when Pike wants Spock to help him?" Uhura. Why didn't he ask Uhura, right? Oh. Or what possible, like... But they're, they're sort of treating it like in a way where it's sort of the same thing. Sure, Uhura may have served under Captain Pike, but what possible... Oh. What does she bring? Exactly what does why. she bring to... What, what information does she bring, right? Yeah. But interestingly, on that last question, I think it's kind of interesting. I bet you the reason he calls on Spock is because of what happened in this episode. Tell me more. You know, Spock has already stolen the Enterprise in order to help. Oh, good call. Before. So naturally, good he's call. a good call. Yeah. Well, it could be that. I like that idea. But we also don't know, you know, forget about number one. We know number one's going to turn out fine from this trial, right? But who's to say a year from now, Spock becomes Pike's number one? That's just before Kirk's. I mean, I don't. I, I may be wrong about this, but I don't think it's as firmly established that Spock became first officer for the first time under Kirk. He could have been Pike's first officer at some point, which means Pike's going to go. Well, number one's not around, so I'm going to go to. I'm going to. Spock's still on the Enterprise, so I'm going to go to my former, you know, first officer and tell him. But I think I like your idea better. Spock's already stolen the Enterprise. He knows how to do it. Yes, yeah, he's, he's and plus he's willing to do it. Right, if it logically makes sense. Right. I okay. I'm gonna really latch onto that because I think that's a really. I actually really like that observation quite a bit. 
that it sort of solidifies why Captain Pike, you know, six years, six, seven years from now, asks Spock for help. Yes. Yeah. He knows he's done it. Something similar. And plus, they they went to Talos 4 together. Like, he, Spock was on that mission when they went to Talos 4. Yes. So not only were they on the same planet together, they were on the Enterprise together, but Pike knows that Spock stole the Enterprise. Yes, he's willing to do it. Some reason yeah. he didn't get in trouble for it, so... He's not going to ruin his career. That only makes it better. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, man, that's good. Thank you. That's really good. Nice, good one. On nice job on that one. Oh, thank you. Every once in a while, I come through. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to make sure we don't that we still discuss that we discuss. Um, the go to warp catchphrase. Oh yeah. So I'm a lack of lack thereof of this discussion although i have to say i thought that of course it's ripe for jokes and i didn't think this was a good scene i thought it worked it was funny yeah. but i'm getting a little bit tired of these these jokes i think the this new generation of check has gone to that well too many times it's how picard ended and it's how this season began like yeah i don't like how it's becoming an in-universe thing yes and i always just assumed that engage was the technical thing you were supposed to say. I never thought of it as a catchphrase. Well, because the button, we so at one point on Discovery, we actually see the control and it literally says engage. Yeah, see? Yeah. That's what I thought. So right. I just thought it was a thing you say. But then... The official thing. But then it's like, they're going over that with Spock. The navigator says, my, other, my former captain liked to say Zoom. And I thought to myself, how do you, how do you say that in context? Right. You just say Lieutenant Zoom. Like <laughs> Doesn't everybody kinda of chuckle at that? I mean, like How do you and then Ortega says I'm workshopping Vamanos and I just thought to myself Now what did Kirk say? He didn't say anything. <laughs> right? He just said like No. We're, we're five to like whatever planet, right? Right. He never said anything. Yeah. He and what is it? What did um Picard said engage? Cisco didn't yeah. say anything. Janeway, Janeway to catch Janeway. What? Cisco didn't go anywhere. Well, he was on the Defiant. But I know, but Janeway, Janeway? Janeway would say "do it," but it wasn't like a. <laughs> but it wasn't like a. She just said that. She just said it. it. wasn't It wasn't in reference to like going to warp. I mean, occasionally she would, but she okay, would say it in various other situations. Was. Whatever her command was, you say "do Her catchphrase was "do it." Yeah. Um. Archer didn't have one. Yeah, and the first I think I think in the first episode he said let's go, and I think they were sort of setting up to like that maybe be his catchphrase, yeah, but he didn't. Yeah. It, he never really followed through with that. Yeah. So, and then Burnham doesn't have never had one. Well, she no, she does. Let's fly. Um, did um did did um, Michelle Yeoh have one? Let's go way back. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know. <clears throat> Yeah. I don't know. Um, they don't have one on... What about Saru? Did they make a joke about Saru having one too? God, I can't... I think so. I just can't remember what it was. Yeah, it sounds familiar that they might have made a joke about it. And they never did... And Okay. And, and here's the thing. Don't... Once again, don't you feel like that joke is better suited for Lower Decks? Because they don't have one on Lower Decks. I feel like that's a conversation they should be having on Lower Decks. 
Right, yes, because it is that meta kind of joke. Yes. Where you are commenting on something that fans think about and characters in the show don't. And right. And you're having characters in the show think about it. Right. Yes. So I, I think that's better suited to Lower Decks. I don't, know, I don't know that they've had one on Prodigy. I'm not sure about that. Um, it, it would be like if Uhura had a, a Captain Archer commemorative plate, right? It would be so silly. Right. So out of place. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think, but you're right. Like, these other shows, I don't like that they're kind of forcing it. I mean, I do, I got to admit, though, I do like that Picard, they cut away before we found out what it was. Yeah. I thought that was clever. But again, but it's still, like, they're establishing it as something that a captain should probably have. Yes. It Even though it's like more it. jokey, yeah. Maybe like after, by the time of Picard and after, maybe then it would become a thing. Right. But like Kirk had, he I probably mean, said a few different things. Well, I mean, people think his famous quote is "Beam me up, Scotty." When in reality, he never said that at all. That no, those exact words were never said. Directed at Scotty. Right. Beam us up. Usually, it wasn't just him. The closest he ever came was when he said, "Scotty, beam me up in the voyage home." Um. Or then in the animated series, he said at one point he said "beam us up, Scotty," but he didn't really have a like a go to warp, you know. Like he just, you know, he would say "engage," he would say "warp factor yeah, five, but like it wasn't like a it wasn't a moment. Yeah, I think he would usually just say, "Yeah, like warp factor five, and then they would just do it. He "Engage, Mister Sulu, the quarter speed." Like the one, the one that I can think of, and they say it more in the movies, is like "steady as she goes." No, yeah, which is like, whatever. but like. Even then, that's very situational. Like it just means like impulse powers, you know. So yeah, yeah but uh, once again, it's when Picard said "engage," like that was like a that was a moment. And when when all these other captains like there was a moment. Now they're just kind of, you know, Pikes. I feel like Pikes was hit, is hit it, but he just sort of naturally says it. So I I don't know. I wish they would stop with this though. I I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, they said though, at least it was funny because the way he was kind of awkward about it and right. whatever, like fly the ship in the direction I said or whatever it was that he said. I I do like that they are playing it for laughs. I mean, I'll, I'll give them that. I'll give them that. <clears throat> yeah, I can use a little. I can go for a little bit of that. Not too much though. This is still a highly you know regulated organization. You shouldn't be cracking jokes all the time. Right, right. A little bit here and there. A little bit goes a long way. Anything else you want to cover? Not at all. Okay. Great. What do you... Um, speaking very broadly, I guess. Hopes for the season? I'm assuming just give us some good episodes, some good writing, and that's it? Nothing it specific? Stuff. I want some wacky stuff. This one wasn't wacky enough. Yeah. I want some real wacky stuff. I, obviously, we're getting lower decks. That's going to be wacky, but I want, I want more wacky stuff. You know, I love the wacky stuff. My Greek gods living in planets, or you know. My understanding, reading various reviews this season, is that you and I were talking about this, so I'm just going to reinforce it. Um, they do some stuff this season that sort of evokes other episodes. So, like in other words, there's a time. I think this might be even be the lower decks one. There's a time travel episode coming up. That's the low, uh, you know. So I'm assuming that's the lower decks one. That's also the one where we see Laan and Kirk together, like in what looks like the 21st century somewhere. And 
they say like you know it it's sort of like the episode kind of reminds you of like say city on the edge of forever but it's it's like but it's not like a remake of city on the edge of forever or like a sequel to city on the edge of forever they're like but it just has like the same kind of beats the same kind of like there are things that it does that jog your memory of like oh that's kind of like city on the edge of forever so it's like while it's not again a remake of it it just reminds you of it yeah which which i kind of like when they do those kinds of things. I like that it just sort of jogs my memory of earlier episodes without actually being like a Let me put it let me put it another way. That's how you do it. that's what I think you should that's how you do a member berry. Don't throw it in my face. Just do something that reminds me of it. But it's not but you're not copying it. It just sort of yeah. Like putting Jimmy Carter in space instead of like <laughs> Well <laughs> I guess, yeah. But um so I'm hearing those kinds of things. I that that makes me happy. So, but I think you know I don't. Ha- I wouldn't say that I have any specific like plot line hopes or just. I want a season that was as good as last season, if not better. As long as they can stay on this high that they did with last season, then I'll be happy. It's not like a, I'm not sitting there saying mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, I want to see McCoy. I want to see, no. you know. I want to see- Kirk than last season. I want to see less Kirk too. And less George. Actually, that would be my specific. Actually, okay, let me take a step back. We still have some time before the original series begins. So I need you guys to sort of dial it back and not. I need you to abstain from introducing more original series characters, right? I have no doubt that before this series concludes, we're going to see everybody before the show ends. We're going to see all of them. Right. I can actually it would not surprise me if this show establishes that Chekhov has been on the Enterprise the entire time but was like a lower deck crewman and so when we see him for the first time in the second season of the original series now he's been like promoted to be like an upper deckman right because I could totally see this show addressing the continuity error in the Wrath of Khan where Khan recognizes Chekhov. Oh, yeah. So, like, there could have been a scene in Space Seed off-screen where Khan does see Chekhov and the Lower Ducks. I mean, Walter Koenig has a really humorous story that he tells about that. But, like, I could see them doing something where, like, oh, yeah, he was just on the Enterprise the entire time. We just never saw him. Yeah. But, again, another one of those things that I don't feel like the show really has to... Go out of its way to establish. Don't get too cute. Don't get too cute. Exactly. <laughs> so I, but yeah, I agree with that. That sort of thing wouldn't really wouldn't really shock me if they did that. But I would say yes. I don't want you know stop it with the original series characters. Like we, I don't want Kirk there. Okay. Although and, I wouldn't mind, um, I wouldn't mind like. Spock's family, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Spock's mother for sure. I mean, Spock is sort of in that <laughs> is in that um, situation where like he doesn't talk to his father right now. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but in yeah. some way, I feel like, and I don't know if you feel this way. Um, I feel like the show is sort of casually ignoring Discovery. And when I say that, I mean like, because you know, Spock's parents played a you know, 
played a role in that because Michael was his half sister, right? Yeah. But I feel like the show is sort of like, yeah, we're not gonna really go into that. We're not gonna really <laughs> do this. We're just gonna. Yeah, it's strange. It is strange. Really, it's a new world. Really go up up against other things, just not that. Yeah. But it's fine. Do you think that it's possible that this Kirk may just take over in this show? Because it's only called Strange New Worlds. It doesn't say who who the captain is. Well, neither does Deep Space Nine. I know, but we're not talking about Deep Space Nine. I'm talking about this one. Um, no, but that rule doesn't apply to those shows. doesn't apply to the other shows. I know. Um, it, just, like, it means like you couldn't do it in Star Trek Picard. You couldn't kill off Picard and then keep it going you know? i think i have think have that i think that's how the show will end you think that the show would continue maybe with him as i don't know maybe he gets a promotion kirk takes over that's it maybe he comes on once in a while like um april does it's possible. I don't know why you do it, but it could they could. Well, cuz remember I said to you, I said I I I proposed this around the time of Equality of Mercy, which showed that you could easily do an original series episode mm-hmm. on a modern budget and it wouldn't look dated at all. I remember saying to you, I remember postulating the question. I said, you know, could you ever envision them sort of remaking the original series? And I think you said no, but I can see them not remaking the original series, but doing a season with the original crew, yes. Yeah. Like, I don't think you'd redo the episodes. That would be silly. Well, it could be something like, because in, in Where No Man Has Gone Before, yeah, th- that's not, they're already on the Enterprise. It's not them coming aboard for the first time. Exactly. Right. So it's like you're gonna do a season of like maybe the week of the week before, <laughs> where yeah, Man has gone before, and yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think it would be a way that you, if if they did it on this show, it would yeah. be a way for it to be to, to feel quote unquote earned. Right. Like if you just said, oh, we're we're redoing the original series. Here's the crew. I think that wouldn't go over well, but if you actually no. build it up from this, well, I think that would a lot of people would be more willing to accept. A long time ago, I don't know if it was when Strange New Worlds was announced. I'm not sure about that, but I remember talking to you on the podcast one time about how, um, if you look at the first J.J. Abrams film, which shows how Kirk's crew came together on the Enterprise. That was a totally original idea, right? They That wasn't like a different... Ver- that's a story that's never been told. Despite the fact that it's in an alternate reality, that story's never been told. And I remember saying to you, is there a sort of prime universe version of that story that brings the entire... Kirk's entire crew together in some way? You know, this show is obviously establishing that some of them were already there. But, like, is there... Yeah, like, given that this is... Stranger Worlds takes place in the prime timeline, meaning that it's the same timeline as the original series, next gen, all the spinoffs. Is there some equivalency in this universe of the events that happened in the first Trek film that gets them all together like that? Because if you look at the first Abrams film, 
<clears throat> it plays out a little bit differently. I mean, the Enterprise is launched. Pike is in command, but everybody serving underneath him is, is Kirk's crew. It's not yeah. the crew from the cage, right? So I think they're doing that in slow. They're doing um, that, in, yeah. Slow motion, right? So to speak. Right. But is there some? But is it done in such a way where like everybody is in place except for Kirk? And some extraordinary event happens or something that finally puts him in that chair. Because it's not, we don't know. Did We've seen in Trek shows like captains pick their crews. But we don't yeah. know. Like, did Kirk come on the Enterprise and they were all already there? Yeah. Right? I did, hope they don't do some extraordinary thing. I just hope that it's a boring way. He just gets appointed to it. You know? Right. I don't want it to be. Because it's always, like in the movie, in the Abrams films, it's some extraordinary circumstances. That... I mean, maybe extraordinary is not the word I should use. But something... Something happens that you know, um, or is it just? I would prefer the show take the more under under the tasteful route and just Pike gets his fleet captain promotion, moves on, hands it over to Kirk. What they can't do is Kirk cannot meet Pike right. until that day. Yeah, and as you, but I remember you said at one point like I don't want to see them do something like where Pike's in the other room and he hasn't yeah. met, he hasn't met Kirk yet. Yeah, or like he bumps into him in the hallway, doesn't know he's Kirk. Right. Right. He just well because or whatever. When in the menagerie, the Commodore asks Kirk, "Kirk, have you ever met Chris Pike?" And he said, "I think he said something." He his exact line, I think, is like, "I met him when he was promoted to. I met him when he was promoted to fleet captain." Mm. So yeah, that was it. He gets promoted to fleet captain. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's when he takes command of the Enterprise. He could have taken command of the Enterprise long before that, and then Pike got a promotion later on. Yeah. Right? But I, mean, I don't think he'll be able to resist having the original series crew. No, there's no way. There's no way. How did you get this close? How did you work for years getting this close? But what I also don't think it's going to be is I don't think it's going to be like a Rogue One New Hope situation where like it ends and then Where No Man Has Gone Before begins like five minutes later. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. You know, I don't think I it's mean, gonna. I don't think gonna do that. I wouldn't mind that either, though. I, I don't know that they're gonna make it seamless between both. I, I certainly would not. If it works, then I wouldn't mind it. But I don't know that yeah, that's yeah. Um, but look, we have at least two seasons, two more seasons of this. So, so it's not like it's happening anytime soon. Because the show was renewed for a third season. Um. But I think it'll, you know, it's a streaming series. I would assume it's probably going to run about five seasons, maybe. But there's no rule that says it has to run five seasons. It can go, it can go longer than that. If Anson Mount has another child, then, you know, he'll have to, he'll have to take an episode off again. That, that'll be the episode where Kirk takes command. It's because Anson Mount had another kid. Very good. So um, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week... We will be discussing the second episode of the season, which is actually going to be focusing on, it looks like, number one's trial, so we're going to get some resolution there. The name of the episode is Ad Ass... Sorry, I was looking at you. Um, oh, sorry. That's all right. You want to say it? Or do you want me to say sure. it? Ad Astra per Aspera. 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 Another title in, in the long tradition of episode yeah. titles in Latin. So what does it mean? Um, a rough road leads to the stars or to the stars through difficulties. It is essentially just seen as any, you know, it's used always when you're talking about um, 
remaining, you know, uh, steadfast in the face of difficulties to reach your ultimate goal. That's very, I mean, that's a very, and that's very broad in this sense because we know that next week's going to be about number one's trial. So, yeah. so in that in itself. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a term that fits a lot of situations. But this goes back to when we started doing the show you used to do this kind of stuff with discovery like you'd look at either the episode titles or a certain book that they had and sort of read into it with the you know as a way yeah. of seeing like is there well, any way to predict what the episode's going to be about right english teacher skills yeah and that was fun because it you know as much as we criticize discovery they usually the references fit with the theme of the of the episodes usually Good for that, at least in the beginning. Well, my, rec- my recollection too was that there was there was a lot of um, uh, what is it, Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, so a lot of Alice in Wonderland, which really set up the mirror universe pretty well. Yep. Yeah, through the looking glass is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think, you know, should we come across these things? I, if we can get back to that, I think I would be. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, we have a Latin one now. All we need is a Shakespeare quote for an episode title, and then it will be complete. You know. Oh, I mean, we've had them in the past, so I have no. I don't see yeah, why so we wouldn't have them. That's the thing. Since the original series, they've been using the Shakespeare quotes. To that own self be true was one. Was a Next Generation episode title, I believe. Yeah, so. I bet if we looked up like Star Trek episodes that are Shakespeare, it should be quite a lot. Is in truth there is no beauty a Shakespeare quote? That I'm not sure. That's an original series episode title. In truth, there was no beauty. You looking that up? I'm looking up um, yeah. generally. All Our Yesterdays by Any Other Name, The Conscious of the King, and Dagger of the Mind. Oh, yeah. The Undiscovered Country is one as well. Yep. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. Every episode title is actually a Shakespeare reference. Okay, Dagger of the Mind, Conscience of the King. Yep. Uh, by any other name, Wink of an Eye, All Our Yesterdays, How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth. That was Discovery. The Undiscovered Country, Thine Own Self, Journey's End, Mortal Coil, Once More Unto the Breach, yep. The Dogs of War. <laughs> That's a lot. And I'm sure there's more. Right? Yeah. You didn't I mean, read everything, slash, right? Yeah. That was Slash Films list. There's a lot of Latin titles as well. A lot of Latin titles. Yes. Perhaps next week we'll go through Latin titles. We should review we should like do reviews of all the Latin episodes. We find all the Shakespeare episodes? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, great. Well, it's great to be back for another season of Strange New Worlds. I'm really looking forward to this season and I hope that it really improves on the last season i thought last season was great and i hope we get kind of more of the same but also better stuff too i agree it is great to be back in and um, so far so good so let's go through the difficulties to the stars i thought you were going to say like let's and try to like struggle with the catchphrase of what we could say beginning of the season <laughs> nope i'm just going to use theirs I would like the show to be good now. I would like it to be gooder than badder. Yes. All right. That's going to do it. We'll see everybody next week. Peace out. Peace out.